0: Some horror stories as well in tiny houses that if you look at them from the exterior, you're like, wow, this is a fantastic home. But you never know that two years after that, uh, there's going to be mold in the bottom of the walls. That breaks people's dreams.
1: I wouldn't hesitate to say that my guest this week is one of my all time favorite professional tiny house builders. J.P. Marquis from Minimalist Houses has been building gorgeous, modern, tiny houses since 2015, early on in the movement. And his company really has staying power because of their pursuit of building excellence. And I'm not reading any pitch. This is all coming from me. They have continued to innovate to make their tiny houses both safer and better to live in. So in this conversation, we go kind of deep on building for cold weather why JP thinks that SIPs are the only choice for building a safe and warm tiny house on wheels, heating systems, and more. Uh, it's a really great conversation and I do hope that you stick around. I wanna tell you about something that I think will be super helpful as you plan, design, and build your tiny house. Tiny House Decisions is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It comes in three different packages to help you on your unique tiny house journey. And if you're struggling to just figure out the systems for your tiny house, you know, like how you're going to heat it, how you're going to it, you know, what construction technique are you going to use like sips or stick framing or steel framing, tiny house decisions will take you through all these processes systematically and help you come up with a design that works for you. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions. For listeners of the show, you can head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD to learn more and use the coupon code TINY at checkout for 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY for 20% off. All right, I am here with J.P. Marquis. Before joining the Minimalist team, J.P. was an active member of the Canadian Army. After serving for 10 years where he was deployed in domestic and overseas missions, J.P. decided to quit this job's stability and step out of his comfort zone into a project he believed in. He always loved woodworking, so he went back to school to become a carpenter. Always willing and keen to help, he spent a few weeks in Argentina teaching wood construction methods right before jumping into Minimalist's journey. Talented and passionate, the team is lucky to have him around as he always puts in the effort to get things done. Passionate about skateboarding, fishing, and photography, JP is the type of guy that always has the funniest story to tell and can entertain a whole group for the night. Newly a dad, his son will be lucky enough to be raised with good values while learning to live with JP's dad jokes. J.P. Marquis, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thanks for the introduction, Ethan. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure for me to be uh, part of your podcast today. So thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's it's fantastic to, to have you on. We were chatting a bit during the pre-show. Um, I've been following Minimalist, and I'm, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. For years and years. When, when did the company start?
0: Actually, the company started in 2015, which is when we actually built uh, the first prototype that actually brought us to where we're at today. So of course it's uh, it's quite an adventure. So it's it's not just about the prototype itself, but there's a lot of things that brought us to where we are. But Uh yeah, I'll be uh, be, uh, more than pleased to uh, elaborate on that.
1: Yeah. So maybe could you tell us the story of, of that prototype and you know, what inspired you to, to even build a tiny house in the first place?
0: Yeah, so uh, what happens is we, like everybody else, we uh, we saw what was going on with the tiny house movement in the United States that um, it started to be more and more uh, active after the economical crash in 2008. But then uh, the movement took a little while to get here, and then we learned about it with TV shows. But then uh, besides the fact that all these houses were, uh, let's call them cute, let's call them uh Attractive and uh, I mean it's sort of an exotic way of living. But besides that, we thought the whole industry was lacking a little bit of uh, safety and upgraded construction methods because we live in a place where most of the houses that we saw in Chinese shows could not handle the type of weather that we have here in Canada. And then we wanted to incorporate our technical, uh, the technical specifications. That we need to follow here because of our climate. We wanted to uh, adapt them into a tiny house and actually offer a product that was that was offering the the possibility for clients to downsize without downgrade. And this is where we actually aimed for when we enter the tiny house market.
1: Yeah, can you can you say more about that? Because I agree completely about you know the industry lacking some of the safety and cold weather kind of features, but can you say more about about what you saw out there in the industry and, and kind of what you started doing differently?
0: Yeah, I mean, it it, it, it starts with the, the framing methods and it, and also with the thermal bridges and also with the access to lofts. And like we saw a lot of, of ladders and we saw a lot of, of staircases that were uh, really steep and really narrow pen rails. So there was, some major points that we identified as items that if we changed and we if we offered a more clever idea for different aspects of the tiny house living, we would be able to reach a market where people normally don't picture themselves in tiny house, but then while bringing something new and a, an addition to this industry, we thought we would be able to reach a new market like uh, people, for example. Uh-huh. But then, with minor changes and, and some, some thinking, we were able to actually aim for this type of clientele that we love to work with.
1: Nice. So, do you think that you have found a different kind of client within the tiny house um, niche? I guess, like, are you finding that you're working with people? Yeah. yeah. So,
0: what, what I think we did was actually offer people an uh, outfit for tiny house by that, there's different motivations that will bring people to live in a tiny house. And Mm -hmm. of course, uh, after the economical crash in 2008, uh, 2008, Uh the first motivation was economical. And and then we thought we would aim for people that will want to go tiny for uh, other reasons than just uh, economical reasons. So uh, offering the ability to downsize, downsize without downgrade. Uh-huh. we make it so clients that are going from, like, let's say, a two thousand square feet home, and they have, like, money is not an issue, but they want to reduce their their ecological footprint, and they want to do their part for the planet, and they don't want to be they live in a big house anymore. Then minimalist came up with a product that checks all the boxes for them in order to downsize without downgrade. So that's what we that's the niche we actually went into. So that goes for aging people and also for uh, young professionals that they don't want to compromise their definitely comfort, but then it's not uh, it's not luxury. It's just uh, what they wanted inside a tiny house. They want to do compromises, but not everybody wants to do com- compromises at the same place. That's for sure.
1: Right, right. That's that's an interesting point you bring up because I, I remember being surprised that you know in in 2014 i published my my guide tiny house decisions and it was kind of one of the first kind of ebooks and resources for people to use to buy to follow and i remember being surprised i thought that most of the other people who would be kind of buying it and following me would be people who were around my age so i was in my 20s then now i'm in my 30s but I've been surprised to see that I would say more of my customers and more of the people who, who are following me are people who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and even and 70s, uh, people who are looking to retire into a tiny house or to kind of move from that bigger house into something tiny just to match, you know, so that they don't have to have loans or, or big expenses as they age. Is that something that you've found as well? Yeah,
0: that's totally correct. And uh yeah, and not only um they don't want to like have loans and all that, but they don't want to take four or five or five hours to clean up their houses. They wanna yeah. they wanna actually live uh inside their home and not for their home. That's just uh that's the difference. So yeah, they want to provide the mind.
1: Yeah. So um we recently had um Chad DeShane on the show who I who I know has been in contact with you. He's a um, a building inspector who is passionate about safety and particularly preventing issues, uh, moisture issues, poor ventilation issues. And he actually, uh, really lauded you and your company as as a tiny house builder that is is doing things right. Um, and so I want to ask you, you know, can you talk a bit about, you know, the ventilation and, and the things that you do in your houses to make sure that they are, are safe for the inhabitants that live in them?
0: Yeah, and it all starts with, I think, like the regulations in the tiny house industry. I think it is a matter of time before we see some, some changes in the industry. But what happens is here, what we wanted to do is adapt the building code, which the building quote is Quebec is probably one of the highest in, in North America. So we wanted to adapt that to the actual RV industry in which most mm. of the tiny house will fall under. So that starts with ventilation because the way brand new houses are made, actually, if they're done properly, they're meant to be really, really airtight. But what comes with it, like if you just build a really airtight home, you're going to be faced major issues even worse than if you build them the old-fashioned way so having a house that great actually with a proper ventilation system it should not be like an option in a tiny house it should be it should come with the house envelope with the, the structure should always include a way for the house to be itself so right from the start more professional and a more let's say high-end Technology in terms of either structure and also HVAC. So, um, and now I'm pretty sure you're familiar with that. That's, I'm glad you had uh, Chad on the phone. And just so you know, I mean, he's not—he's not getting a dime for saying what he says. He's just uh, telling what he thinks should the and the, the tiny house industry look like, or actually lean towards to in the in the years to come. And that starts with proper inspection by third parties and proper ventilation of the product because you've seen some horror stories. And we saw some horror stories as well in tiny houses that if you look at them from the exterior, you're like, wow, this is a fantastic home. But you never know that two years after that, uh, there's going to be mold in the bottom of the walls. And then everything that's been put inside the house is good for garbage. And that's also, that breaks people's dreams and everybody puts like, high expectations when they see your final product, but then we wanted to educate the whole population and the tiny house enthusiasts on how we build our houses, and that's how we built a trust, a, a, a trust relationship with the clients, even though they're located 5,000 kilometers apart.
1: Yeah, yeah, that and that's amazing. Well, I so. I do want to talk about that but before we we go to, you know, how you work with clients all over the US and Canada. Mm-hmm. Do you have any recommendations on um, specific ventilation units that you like to work with cuz that's that's a question that I see a lot inside my my online community. Yeah. Tiny House Engage is that people are asking, you know, do I need an HRV or an ERV? And then there are so many different most of them need an HRV, not an ERV, but there, then there are different systems. There's the LUNOS and, and Blauberg that just are a single, you know, they go through one point in the house and then there are more um, elaborate ducted systems. So which which systems do you like putting in, in your houses?
0: Actually, we the first one we heard of, um, because we knew from the start that we needed an air exchanger inside the tiny house, yep. and considering that it's mostly an open space with no, with no basement, and and the walls are not as thick as, and the floor is not as thick as a regular home, we knew that it's going to be a ductless system that would be more appropriate for the type of house that we wanted to produce.
2: Uh-huh.
0: So we did some research, and it came up to us that German have a great technology. Uh, they had a great technology and it was called Lunas. Lunas was one of the first HRV that we used inside our houses. Uh-huh. So depending on the size, we started to include either a pair of those or one, because if you install two, they can talk to each other. And while one pulls the air in, the other one extracts the air out. So they can work either in a single zone or they can work in pair. So, and, and actually, if it was not for the reps that talked to us about the Blowberg, we would probably still be using the Lunas. But then when the ref told us about the Blowberg and the actually upgrades that it had compared to the Lunas, and I'm not saying Lunas is not good. I would say price-wise, if you're in California, I will recommend Lunas over the Blowberg because the main advantage for us with the Blowberg is the fact that it's good. Up to minus 25 Celsius. And also, that the exterior vent is more a residential than RV. Like the, the outside is not a flat profile, the vent with a tank in it that prevents wind from bursting. So, when we're facing minus 40 here in Quebec, you don't want the wind bursting through uh, a small plate. So, we, wanted, we, we knew that these upgrades would be a benefit for our product and also for the clients that will buy those. Yeah. So HRV was definitely something that we wanted to include in the base price and that should never be optional.
1: Yeah, I I appreciate that. I've I put an HRV in my tiny house when I built it in in 2012 and I was fortunate because the designer that I worked with is very um I'm not even going to say progressive. He just, you know, he's a good designer and Understands that when we build homes really tight with spray foam, that you need to ventilate the home because otherwise you can get sick and have all kinds of issues. So i I am grateful that that I was steered in that direction back in in 2012. But um, another another thing that i that I think is is tough in the cold weather is heating as well. And so I'm I'm curious what. What heating systems do you like um, when you're building a home that is going to go, you know, in Quebec or in the Northeast, United States or somewhere that is quite cold?
0: I would say. Like the the biggest challenge with building tiny houses for cold weather is definitely about the thermal bridge that comes with a tiny house. Because yep. um, there is way more opening for square foot in a tiny house than there is in a regular house so thermal bridge means less space for installation and more space for structure that will bring the coal from the outside to the inside just for the fact that there's solid materials from the exterior to the interior yep and when we uh, we did like two or three houses that were stick frame from the start with actually all the uh, the characteristics that we needed to include to make sure that these houses Will not fall apart. So uh, and then it was really high time consuming. So I did a couple of research on on, on SIP, and then we finally decided in two thousand uh, the early two thousand eighteen to switch for structural insulated panels because I knew that I well I had the impression, and after that it was confirmed uh, that we would save a lot on energy costs and on time, and also we will avoid all these thermal bridges, because there's a lot of weaknesses in a tiny house, especially with the wheel wells and all that, yep. so we did some first tests with, with the with the steps, and then one other weakness on the tiny house that we saw in the United States, because some people, they're not afraid to show the pictures of their procedures or the construction methods, but then that shows to people how you do stuff, and like of course, like, our, our way of doing things is not to diss the competition at all. It's to educate our people on the differences that make a minimalist product different from what is seen on the market. Yeah. And then when we saw some tiny houses with plywood applied directly on a trailer frame and then starting to put up walls on that. Of course, you live in, in, in hot weather, but then condensation doesn't only happen when you have minus 30 in winter. It can happen with the slight variation of temperature, and we wanted to have proper insulation throughout the whole house. And then we, when we started build with this, we we went with some uh, blow door tests. and that's something that not a lot of people will do in the industry. But then that showcases the specs of the house, how it like that puts some numbers on what we think is a good way of a good way of building so when we had the first blow door test on our house and we had uh, around 1.12 changes of air per hour in a 200 square feet house doing the test he was really impressed and he said well the, the smaller the footprint the harder it is to get a good ratio because the ratio is on it depends on the size of home so he, if you have like a three building you can easily get 1.12 change of air per hour because the ratio is on a smarter scale. But then in square feet on a small box, if there is a leak, then you're going to notice that. It's going to affect your results. Or i ensure that tips where do we go? And also structurally, they're structurally sound. Which is um, like wood will actually dry over time. It will bend over time. It will tweak. It it it's living. So is made from a dead material, which is OSB, and then a lot of people, they, they think OSB is not good because when it gets, when it gets uh, drenched in water, it, it falls apart and everything. Well, OSB should not be facing rain. So when OSB is wrapped and properly installed, it's going to age as well as plywood, as well as, uh, as lumber. So OSB actually is more eco-friendly in the way it's produced because it takes smaller trees. So you don't you don't need to roll up big pieces of huge uh, trees to make plywood. OSB comes with with smaller particles. So if you dig deep and you analyze that, uh, there was an ecological move in using SIPs. and also we reduce all the waste at the shop. So but well, I'm now I think I'm going in another, another direction, but. Talking about the construction itself, the installation, we wanted to confirm that with blow door tests, and then it showed that we had a recipe that was really good, and then if you combine that with a mini-split system, because you wanted to know about the heating method,
2: mm-hmm.
0: well, a mini-split system combined with sips is probably the most economical economical way to heat or provide air conditioning inside a tiny house. Uh, But then when it comes to really, really cold places, even though we would put 12 inches thick of foam in the floor, if it's minus 40 outside and there's no basement, you're gonna feel a little bit of cold on the floor. And if something tells you otherwise it's it's not true, it's just uh, how it is. So of course it's not gonna be freezing cold because it's insulated but then it's not going to be as comfortable as summertime. So of course we include some heating floor and then there's two, two different heating floors that we work with. And we have the hydronic system that after using that in, in in a couple of houses, this is not where I would go if I was somebody that is not too technical and is not able to, to, to provide proper maintenance on its own system because it's not really Uh user-friendly because you have the glycol pipes and everything, but I must admit that it's probably the best heating method for a house because it radiates from the floor, it's really comfortable, and then it creates a thermal mass. So there's only benefits to that system, but then it requires space, and it's also really expensive. But now we have the true heat system, which is a low-voltage tape, and then it showed to be really, really... Interesting, or cheap, uh, and actually, it requires less space. And for the purpose it deserves, it's probably the best in between when it comes to heating from floor. And that we only recommend that when you're facing like freezing temperatures. Like I would say, Colorado, you don't need a heating floor. You could, but then you only need it because of comfort, and it's not a requirement at all. Yeah. But then if you were talking houses that are going to be installed off-grid and propane, propane needs to be part of the game. Yeah. So either a propane furnace, and we, we already did a propane-powered boiler for a heating floor that was running on, on glycol as well. So there's different ways of doing that, but the best combination so far is definitely the mini-split combined with an auxiliary heating system, which we always include. You you cannot rely on only one heating method. If there's a winter it's in the winter, you don't have any heating. So we always have a backup heating in our house as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I second that. I actually, I do have a, you know, I, I have a propane, just a direct vent propane heater in my house. And then I've always had just an electric space heater as well. Um, that the, the space heater can't heat the house alone. But if we lose propane or something happens, it is able to at least prevent, you know, the pipes from freezing.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a good point.
1: Um, I, I just so appreciate how well thought out your houses are. And it, it seems like you really are, are putting the the person who's going to live there above all else. Because I, I could see other builders maybe not wanting to use sips because they can make more money charging for their time to stick frame a house. Um, but but you've come to the conclusion that sips are the safest and best way to build a tiny house, and so that's that's what you go with.
0: Yeah, and then it's been like to be honest, it's been really hard for us not to justify the price of our houses, but then we wanted To be the company that offers what's best in terms of base materials, end of the line. So yeah, uh, there was no compromises in the base recipe of our houses, and of course, it comes at a price. uh, But then, like a way of thinking is, the price is a result of the choices that the client will make in his tiny house, added on top of our base recipe. And if they're not willing to pay for that, then we don't we don't Try to make more profit and hope the client will will actually accept the price we just well, this is the best price we can give
2: uh-huh. and
0: this is the time that it requires you to do, and then if it doesn't work, then it's probably not the builder for you, but then so far, it's been working great because the clients when you take the time to explain them and you educate them on the specifics of your house, they know what they're paying for. And then yeah. and of course, we think that we uh we like the the thing that we build houses that are looking good, but then what justifies the price of a of a minimalistani house is cannot be seen to the inside, so we had to think of a strategy to highlight that, and we do a lot of behind the scenes shots, some videos, we want to educate people on how we build houses, and then people that come to us, there are people that have been doing their research so and you don't, you don't buy a house from us. Like you buy an RV from uh, a yard where there's 80 or a hundred RVs in there. It's a way more personal process and people feel that. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's, it's a different mindset. Totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah, completely. And you, um, have been just, um, able to reach so much further than, than where you are. So you, is it is it true that, that the majority of your clients are, are in the U.S.?
0: Yeah, I would say, um, actually, it's not like, to be honest, it's not because we aimed for the United States at first, because, I mean, everybody wants to to be the company that works in their own backyard and deserves its own population. But, I mean, Quebec, as of now, is not totally ready for tiny houses. And then we saw that, there was more openings in the United States and this is where the prototype was sold. So we had to do all the paperwork to get, to be able to do business in the States. So while we were at it and people were writing us from the States already, so now we had the entrance. So the the path was actually, well, we thought it was going to be easy. It was definitely not. But then, uh, yeah, that's that's the reality. That's the, that's the, the behind the scene. there's always other stuff that is more complicated than what we post on Instagram, let's say. But then, yeah, we aim for the U.S. market afterwards. And as of now, I would say it's at least uh, 60% 60 of our houses are sold in the United States.
1: Wow. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Tiny House Decisions, my signature guide, and the resource that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It starts with the big decisions, which is, you know, should you build a tiny house yourself or with help? Um, is a is a prebuilt shell a good idea? Um, is a house on wheels better than on the ground? And what works better for you? Um, deciding on the overall size, deciding on whether you should use custom plans or premade plans, different types of trailers, and more. Uh, then in the in part two, we get into the system: so heat, water, showers, hot water, toilets, electrical, refrigeration, ventilation, and we're only two-thirds of the way through the book at this point. From systems, we go into construction decisions, talking about nails versus screws, sips versus stick framed versus advanced framing versus metal framing. Uh, We talk about how to construct a subfloor, sheathing, roofing materials, insulation, windows, flooring, kitchen. I know I'm just reading off the table of contents, but I just want to give you a sense of how comprehensive tiny house decisions is. Uh, It's a total of 170 pages. It contains tons of full-color drawings, diagrams, and resources. And it really is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of tiny house decisions using the coupon code tiny when you head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. That's THD for tiny house decisions. Again, that's coupon code tiny when you check out at slash thd So it must be a challenge working sometimes with clients who can't just come and see the house in person or or talk to you in person. Have you come up with any um, any innovative ways that you you work with clients when they can't like be in the same room as you?
0: Yeah, well, I'm uh, the first one. I was surprised at first when when we had a client that we were actually building our second house. And then we started advertising, not like paying advertising, but showcasing what we were doing on internet, now like through social networks. And then there was this, uh, this lady from Saskatchewan, which is a province, let's take close to Montana, north of Montana, but in Canada. So this lady was, she saw that we were building our, our second house. And then she said, well, tomorrow I'm flying down to Quebec so she, she flew and she talked to us for three hours. And the day after that, she was transferring the whole amount for her custom project. And we're like, like really? She, she really did that. That really showed us that, okay, it's, it's possible there's some interest into this. So let's just focus on showcasing as much as possible what we do here in this backyard so people can see what we do and how we do it. And after that, you know, of all the... 35 plus custom tiny houses that we built only, I would say three or four people had the chance to actually see one of our houses in person before committing on something. This is a big investment. And I still like to this date, I still cannot explain it fully, totally, except for the fact that we built a trust relationship with our clients through the videos and the transparency and the authentic way of actually telling people what we do and how we do it. So yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. But besides Zoom calls, of course, the process of building a house, it starts with a phone call. But actually, I'm taking the first phone call with the clients and I explain them what it is to actually have a tiny house built by us. And after that, if the clients decides to commit then they have a phone call with our design team and then it they go we really go deep into personal life of of people to make sure that the house will reflect their way of living and we will not lean people towards the direction that we want because uh, that's not the thinking that we have as a company you you don't push people uh, where you want to go you help them Decide what's best for them, and of course, we have the knowledge, we have the background. We know that sometimes they will make choices, and we will say, well, for this and this reason, we don't think it would be the proper way to go. But then after that, if the client the client really wants to stick with his idea, we're not going to fight against gravity. I mean, it's it's a custom project, but we Mm -hmm. think about the resale value, and we we tell people what we think is best for them on the long term. And people, I mean, they they really have great trust in. In all expertise, and
1: they they put that trust in us. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that you are deserving of that trust. Clearly, I'm curious. So we um, we schedule we we originally were going to have this conversation almost a year ago, or over a year ago, uh, and then the pandemic hit, and you were just slammed with uh, with tiny house with orders and work. Um, how many houses per year are you building right now?
0: Uh, actually, right now we're around, well, we started from like 6 to 8 to 12 and now we have 20 custom projects. Plus, well, I'm not going to go too far in that direction, but we have um, an announcement coming in the next weeks or around like, let's say in two months is going to be known, but then things are moving a lot here. So I would say officially 20, but then uh, that number could be around 40 uh, by by the next two months. So wow. there's a lot of things going on, but that's, that's the situation right now. At But then what happens is being a company that built its reputation on a product that was actually a lot of con- uh, quality control and like high-end stuff. And then, yeah, so we don't want to sacrifice quality over quantity. So we knew that at some point we wanted to scale up because we have big hopes and big expectations for minimalist, but we never wanted to lose what people
2: came to us at first for.
1: Yeah. Um one thing that that I've been hearing from D- across the board from from professional builders and DIYers is that the cost of materials has just gone up astronomically. And I'm curious, as a builder, have they gone up across the board on everything or are some things some things more expensive than others?
0: Yeah, like, unfortunately, I must admit that uh, while the, the lumber prices really increased, I think the side industries of construction took the advantage of increasing the prices a little bit as well. But then uh, I'm not saying that we didn't have to to actually raise our prices because, of course, like every construction company, we had to do so. And that starts with being fully transparent with the client. And you know what? Most of the time, they know that, I mean, the increase in pricing doesn't go in our pockets, it's just how it is. And if you're not willing to move forward, then we can postpone the project. And we wanted to adapt our construction schedule accordingly. But luckily, almost no people stepped out of their project because of the pandemic. So what happens is we had to close the shop for two months, uh-huh. and then because it was like that. But then after that, we only needed to catch up on the production schedule. So we didn't lose contracts. We just had to deal with some some headaches with the production schedule, while also dealing with the fact that we are aiming for for an expansion in 2022. So there was just only a lot going on at the same time. And then getting back to the price increase, of course, you know, tips, you know, the, the structural insulated panels, they are made from different materials and we don't have as much lumber or like, like you would in a six frame home. And that's pretty much where the increase was with plywood and all that. So we had to increase the price but we didn't have to double up the price like we saw in in some projects. So, yeah, we were able to actually still keep up with the production while having to slightly adjust, but then there's no alternative. The only alternative for a client is not to move forward with the project. So there's not much we can do except for being fully transparent and discussing with the client, and most of the time we'll cut that uh, will cut the the pair in half. That's, that's how it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's good to know that the cost of sips haven't necessarily gone up quite as much as the cost of of lumber. I mean, I've just seen you know a a two by four going you know costing ten or fifteen dollars. Just insane.
0: Yeah, so I would say the sips the increase by let's say ten percent. But then if you have lumber that doubles up and you have a stick for your house. And you pretty much double up your framing while we need to upgrade the price of around 10%
2: mm-hmm.
0: only for the tips part. So, of course, we were kind of protected. But, of course, we we, did, we needed to upgrade the prices because like, uh, we need to be a company that is successful in order to be able to still offer our houses so to the cheapest as possible. It's not good for the industry because... Most likely we will not be there to sell houses in two years if we don't charge what it's worth right now. So we knew that it was coming, the pricing to so like, all right, we're we're not different from anyone where we'll, we'll need to deal with that. But so far it's been it's been working great and knock on yeah, hopefully we'll get out of this situation quite quick.
1: Yeah. Um looking through the, the tiny house models on your, your website, they're all just so beautiful and just the design aesthetics are, are so nice. What I've noticed about many of the featured ones is that they look like they're a bit wider than your classic tiny house on wheels. Is it true that that many of your houses, or would you say that the majority of your houses are, are the 10 or 10 and a half feet wide?
0: Yeah, definitely. I would say the reason why we did eight, eight and a half at first is because we didn't know enough of what's implicated with the 10 feet wide home. And then the whole thinking behind that is really, really simple. If you're looking at a house that is, let's say 30 feet long, and then that will weigh, let's say 16,000 pounds and eight and a half feet wide, don't expect to be pulling that with a pickup truck. So considering that, why not benefit from an extra two feet inside if you're not going to move it a lot and you're not going to move it yourself, then the extra two feet really makes a total difference inside the house in terms of comfort. And not yeah. only you're not only gaining two feet, actually, because most people don't know that. And a lot of people, well, a lot of builders will actually, and, you know, the eight and a half normally must include everything that exceeds the house so yeah the, the vent for the range hood here we in canada i don't have a flat range hood vent a little earlier so we need to have something that is around seven inches deep so this is space that you lose directly inside the house so we ended up ar- with around let's say six feet and a half interior space inside a tiny house that's not a lot of comfort because we have a thicker wall composition. We have the wall itself, but then we have some curing strip on the outside and a double curing strip on the inside to pass all the wires without compromising the integrity of the stiff. Right. So everything makes it. So we have a few space left inside the house and that results in a lack of comfort. So then when we created the first 10 and a half and feet wide house, which was uh, actually the Sakura, it was a gooseneck design. Then it was just It was just a revelation. We were like, okay, well, this is what we think is going to be the next thing for tiny houses, especially for full-time dwellers. If you want to move a lot with the tiny house, then we have a new product coming. And of course, I I would love to show you and to to explain it to you, but I mean, I'm not going to commit on that today, but it's coming. So we're going to divide our offer into two different specific categories next year. It's going to be the part model size tiny home for full-time living. Uh-huh. And then the model that we're going to be offering where mobility is definitely possible because it's not true that you can travel in everywhere in North America with an eight and a half by 30 and a half house with love. It's not meant for that for yeah. different reasons, but it's definitely not a good idea, which is why we went with wider models. And when we explained that to people, they're like, yeah, totally makes sense. I'm not going to invest in an $80,000 vehicle just to be able to, to move my house once every year or once every three, four, five years. It doesn't make sense. So the also the transport companies that we deal with, they have the experience, they have the insurance. So you buy the peace of mind. You, you buy the house, it's delivered on your side, you hook it, and then if you move, uh, for for you get a new job in four years, you want to move your tiny house, then it's still possible. And our houses, they're meant to travel. I mean, they, the 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 structure is heavy duty. The trailer is meant for that. The axles, everything, but it's just a vehicle required to pull it. That it, it doesn't really make sense. And you have a pimple hitch in front of that. Yeah. None of the pickup trucks that is you know on the market is able to pull one of our houses. Yeah. Without while, while being smart,
1: that's just how it is. <laughs> while being smart. So how do you address, when you're building, you know, 10 and a half feet wide, how do you address the wheel wells in, within the SIP? Because it looks like maybe the wheel wells fall right into the walls. So I'm guessing, the, d- does the SIP get cut around the wheel wells? And then how do you prevent thermal bridging from the wheel well?
0: Um, yeah, like like you said, wheel wells. Like if you're on a like a flat deck trailer uh, uh-huh. above the wheels, then you don't have to worry about the wheel wells. So if you want to maximize the interior space, you need to have a drop axle trailer. So the, the base of our trailer is around 18 inches high, and then of course, if you want to maximize the interior space, we need to actually deal with the wheel wells inside the house. Mm. Uh, and most of the time, there will be where the cabinets are or where we install a bench. But then when it comes to your actual question, there is a notch inside the wall and there is a notch inside the uh, the floor structure as well of the SIP. But then you don't just sit directly on the, on the wheel wells. And we saw a lot of builders actually using the wheel wells as a structural element of the tiny house. And it's probably the worst idea ever, like, Sitting a door on top of a wheel well directly on top of it, even though you put a little spray foam, it's probably the, the worst idea ever. You need to have something solid to put a door on and a wheel well, no matter how thick the steel is, should not be used as a structural element
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, on a tiny house. So what we do when we notch the the wall and the floor is we leave at least an inch around on top and on the sides of the wheel well, so we can put foam to create a barrier between the the steel and the actual sit. So after that, that, that makes the air gap filled with foam. But then afterwards, you have the box of the wheel wells inside the house. And this one, we have hard foam that is applied on all the surface of the wheel wells. And then we have a box, installed the box that we put on top of it. So that way we prevent the biggest weakness on a tiny house, which is the wheel well to affect the whole structure of the house. Because once the damage is there, there's not much you can do except tearing everything apart and starting from, from the start. So yeah. And we want to avoid that.
1: Yeah. It really sounds like you, you put so much attention into the details. How long does it take? Like once you actually, I'm changing my question. How long does it take from, um, you know, from design to con to finished construction. I know you're right now. You're not even accepting projects for for 2021. You're you're only booking in 2022. But if somebody wanted to work with you, how long does it take once once things get going?
0: I would say we always start the design phase. I, actually, for a custom project, we will start the design phase sometimes before we start the construction, and most of the time it will be around six months so uh the turnaround time we want right now it's year to six months starting next next year uh-huh. but then we have a reality that we're facing right now and that's just how it is but then once the client is jumping into the process we start with the design phase and then we put the project on the construction calendar sometimes it, it have project book for next year so like you said I mean, we're booked out for the year. So next year, what happens is when the project is put on the construction calendar, it will take from six to eight weeks, including the cleanup, the inspection, the video tour, the the quality control, everything before we're able to deliver that house. So then we can build two or three at a time right now, which is why we're able to stretch from eight houses a year with three carpenters to 20 houses a year with eight ten carpenters. So um yeah, of course the process, well the real question is I mean, how much time it takes to build a tiny house on wheels that minimalist. It will take from uh I would say 500 to 1000 hours. That's just labor hours. Yeah. Uh, but then in reality, the house will be at our location for 6 to 8 weeks, which is not the exact time that it will take to build, but that's the time it will spend at or shop considering we bidding more than one at a time.
1: Right. Right. Fascinating. Well it's I'm sure it's just a, a unique and interesting challenge trying to scale the building of something that is incredibly personalized and incredibly done by hand, but trying to scale that up and keep the quality and the details uh Continuing to be as good as they've always been
0: yeah that, that's totally right, and then we had the exact we had this reflection and we still have in it, but right now we're planning uh, we're actually working on the marketing plan and the new website coming this summer, and that will definitely set the table for what will be minimalist 2.0 and of course, like you said the the, the personalized touch of our designs will still be there because what we plan to do starting next year is to actually take the, take the expertise that we, we created uh, in, in the past years. And right now, because from the start, I'm not sure that you can, well, so, so some people do it and it's fine. But then I'm not sure that you can actually know what people will need until you build something custom for different people to get some feedback and then like being in the business for like 6 years now and doing only custom projects we kind of know what will suit this type of household better than in terms of design in terms of model in terms of space let's say you're a single person that is living in this type of environment then nowadays we can lean you towards a design that created that reflects these needs. And then if you're a family, then we know in which direction they'll be ending up going anyway. So right now, after six years, doing a lot of research, development, and, and custom projects. We are confident that if we come, come up with four uh, or five models that could be personalized, we are confident that these models will respond 95% to specific needs, uh, which would not, which would have never been the case if we created only models from the start. And mm-hmm. not a lot of people know that, but let's say the Magnolia, it was custom created for a client. And after that, we offer it and then we make some variations of it. But from the start, all the models that we have on our website are custom projects that we now offer to people. And then we're, we have like almost 10 different Magnolias right now. But what it tells us is the, the base plan of the magnolia responds to a lot of criteria and a lot of needs. And then if we're able to produce more houses next year, then we cannot take the time to do only custom projects because it will, not, it will not make sense. And we will not be able to provide the the service and the attention to detail, not in terms of the product, but in terms of taking the time to analyze everything for the client for a custom project we're confident that these models they will come at a lower price point but then you'll be able to choose personalized items and we're confident that mixing a good custom service combined with strong well-thought models is probably the best way to scale up the company because we don't want to sacrifice the custom service but we know that we cannot build 80 custom houses a year, it's going to be a nightmare in terms of production. And then you cannot secure stuff in advance. So you cannot actually lower your price for the client. So we want to democratize the, the tiny house industry and the tiny house product. And that starts with being able to offer more houses to more people. So that's why you want to work with a ratio of custom and, uh, and models in, in the, in the, uh, the, the months and the years to come.
1: Yeah. Well, that's really exciting. I, I can't wait to uh, to follow that journey, and I'll be sure to let people know about it when you when you make that announcement. That's great. Thanks. Well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests is, um, what are two or three resources? So they could be books, or people, or or anything that has inspired you that you'd like to share uh, with with our listeners.
0: Well, I would say. Well, one, one of those, uh, a, a nice resource to have, is definitely one of the clients that we had for the Know Your Design. Mm-hmm. So she has a website. She, she's a, a corporate photographer. She's living in California. Her name is Ryan Tuttle. And, of course, uh, I'm mentioning her name because it's not a secret. She has her own website where she helps people through their tiny house journey. So it starts with financing, finding the right builder. So she's, she's an amazing person in general. And then we we were lucky to have her as a client. And then uh, and we had the chance to visit her in, in California last year. And we saw her house uh, installed as an accessory dwelling unit in, in California near San Francisco. So it was just awesome to see someone living in her house. And then she had so many specific items that she, that she wanted to include in her house. And then it's something to build a house and to ship it over, well, not overseas, may across the continent. But then it's something to go there and see, well, this is her drum kit where she plays drum while looking outside her big window that she had designed uh-huh. specifically, specifically for this reason. And she seeing all of the items, but then sticking to the resource, she can welcome people by Zoom or by in-person if the situation allows, and she educates people on tiny house living, what mistakes not to make, and and stuff like that. So that's one of the nice resources if you have questions about, is tiny house good for me? Because there's a thinking process that everybody should go through before contacting a tiny house builder. Most of the people are not ready yet. Mm. They're curious, they have interest, but they don't know where to start. But it starts with, analyzing your 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 must-have and nice to have and breaking it down to what compromises you're willing to make and she really helps people doing that. That's a great resource. Can you say her name? Yeah Ryan. Okay. R Y A N and then Tuttle T U Double T L E. Okay. So and what's fun is because uh her house is that that's the know your design. And then but she she has a nickname for it. It's called the Tuttle Shuttle. So it was just a it was just a wordplay that I came up with because I really like wordplays and, and dad jokes like that. But then the Tuttle shuttle is the name of her website. So if you go on tuttleshuttle.com, dot it, com, it, it, that's the website for uh, for her tiny house uh, journey. So yeah, I recommend if you if you, I recommend you looked it up. She has also a uh, uh, an Instagram. I'm not sure about Facebook, but definitely Instagram. Fantastic. Another resource—it's not a resource, more of an inspiration. Uh, I would say Zach Giffen. I mean, uh, I think he's—he's he's done um, for the tiny house industry. And if you start looking into, uh, uh, he, he's an inspiring person. We we look a lot of his stuff on, on YouTube and all that. So if if somebody doesn't know about that guy, he could be a really inspiring person to look into because everything is done for the tiny house movement and and you know we think that we are pioneers in, in quebec and canada for tiny house well he is for the time the whole tiny house movement and i think that you all are so a part of that because 2012 is still a time where tiny house was still unknown to a majority of people and then you are really you really helped democratize the, the tiny house industry and and having a podcast like that today i would say you would probably be a, a third resource that i would recommend because you not only you you're talking about the tiny house industry but you take the time to invite guests in different areas of the tiny house industry i mean i recommended chad because i think he had some knowledge that could benefit your your audience and then the feedback that you gave me just shows me that you are doing this for the right reason. And we, we think that tiny house, tiny house industry, there's gonna be some opportunist people jumping in the bandwagon in the, 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 the years to come, that's for sure. But then it's always easy to see if somebody's doing that for the right reason, and it's the case for you. So, actually, thanks for being one of those guys that is truly really inspirational and also true to who he is.
1: Well, I, I very much appreciate that, JP. I've I will continue to be inspired by your your beautiful tiny home designs and builds, and um, it's been great catching up with you on the show. I'm glad we finally uh, got to connect.
0: That's great. And if you have any any topic that you want to discuss or or, or a, a podcast, feel free to reach out to me. It will be a pleasure to hop on. Awesome. On another podcast with you, and thanks for having me today. That's a great opportunity. And if anybody has other questions for us, you can redirect them to, I don't know if you're allowed to do that, but we have, Sure. we're able to, to answer any questions to our website or on different social media platforms.
1: Yeah, I will, I will uh, link to your website and all those details on the show notes page for this episode, which um, as soon as this interview is done, people who are listening will hear me tell them where, where they can find that.
0: Okay. Well, thanks. uh, Thanks for having me uh, on the show today. And uh, actually, I wish you the best of success for your podcast. And we'll definitely share that uh, the interview and share your whole podcast concept to our community. uh, That would be a pleasure for us.
1: Thank you so much to JP Marquis from Minimalist Houses for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links to Minimalist, the resources we talked about, and some photos of my favorite minimalist houses at thetinyhouse.net slash 167. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 167. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.